Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Greetings in Jesus' name. This morning we are looking at Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. We're considering this idea that the story is continuing from Passover to Pentecost. We have seen that Jesus has just shown himself alive and he is making himself known to his disciples. They find it unbelievable. But the resurrection isn't an end in itself. It is just the beginning. There is something from the past that is being fulfilled in the present and has a completion in the future. This is not a standalone moment. Whatever conclusion we come to must be controlled by the story. However, unlike us, those original disciples are eyewitnesses to these things. So how do we become, although not eyewitnesses, how do we become witnesses of these things? Let's remember Thomas's encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 20, verses 24 and following. Thomas, you'll remember, is a doubter. He's not convinced that Jesus Christ is alive, even though the other disciples saw Jesus and told Thomas that Jesus was indeed alive. Jesus reappears in verse 26, eight days later in John 20. His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You have this parallel thought between our text and John 20. Verse 27 of John 20, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then answered Thomas, My Lord and my God. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Thus, although we are not eyewitnesses, we are no less witnesses of these things. And this morning, from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49, I would like us to consider this thought that we are witnesses of these things. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll continue in our study. Our Father, like those early disciples, we need the Spirit of God to open our hearts and minds to these things so that we can see that what the text says is indeed true. Thank you, Father, for this moment. May we see how we, not just individually, but corporately as a body, as a family of families, we are pushing the mission forward. Thank you for this working of the Spirit in us and through us to those around us. Guide us in these moments. We do ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the natural questions we would ask ourselves from this text when it says we are witnesses of these things is really what things? Well, our passage answers this for us. We know from Luke 24, as we read the entire chapter, that it is all part of the same day. They are probably in a location they already knew, such as the upper room. He is speaking to his disciples, and it is all about fulfillment. So what would we consider the big idea? What's the emphasis of this text? Well, this passage is all about taking the gospel forward, taking Jesus to the nations through his church, through us. What has begun in the garden is finding fulfillment in Jesus and is being carried forward 
by his church. Jesus is alive. Therefore, we can be confident of the peace of God. If he is alive, then we need not fear. We can be confident of the promises of God. If he has fulfilled all of the past promises, then we can be confident of his future promises. This is all ours in the immediate. The primary objective of this story is to assure his people as they live in mission that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ is Lord. These two realities define our relationship to God in the vertical and it defines our relationship to one another in the horizontal. So let's look at the passage. I'm going to begin by reading verses 36 through 38 in Luke chapter 24. And as they were talking, there is a natural continuation from verse 35. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? There are four parts to the passage we are considering in our study. First of all, he extends to them his peace in verses 36 through 38. Then he assures them of his presence in verses 39 through 43. He speaks to them of fulfilled prophecy in verses 44 through 48. And then he promises them a future power in verse 49. All four of these ideas are in the context of driving the mission forward. It is all inside of a single story with Jesus at the center. But let's begin in verses 36 through 38 and look at the extending of his peace to his people. There are two ideas that are standing in opposition, peace and frightened. Whatever this peace is, he extends to them is in opposition to startled frightened, troubled, and doubting. But let's for a moment consider these thoughts as they are found in verses 36 through 38. The idea of startled is to be terrified. It is more than simply being startled by something or someone that you were not expecting. The idea is that of a bird flying off or being so afraid that you fall down. It is only used twice in the New Testament, here and then in Luke 21, verse 9. The disciples were still not comfortable at this point thinking that this could be Jesus raised from the dead. Instead, they thought they saw a spirit. The word troubled occurs twice in Luke. It was the response of Zacharias at the appearance of the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verse 12, and then now in our text, Luke 24, verse 38. And frightened and troubling are synonymous. And the word that's used for doubting is a compound word, and the idea is that of having a discussion in your heart. It's as if you are talking to yourself, and I'm pretty sure that all of us have done that before, where we have this internal debate taking place, and that's exactly what the disciples were doing. And it is in that context that Jesus Christ extends to them and to us his peace. Jesus speaks peace and assures them of such peace by his physical presence. He assures them that he is not a ghost. Many of us have perhaps seen the advertisement for Publishers Clearinghouse. And we think to ourselves, man, wouldn't it be great to have someone knock on our door and hand us a ton of money? Or perhaps 
we find ourselves the sole benefactor of an unknown individual who had significant financial resources so that we would never, ever need again. It almost sounds too good to be true. That's the feeling that these disciples were having in the early church. The idea that Jesus Christ was alive was simply too good to be true. They were slowly being reconvinced, but it was after all too good to be true. He invites them to examine him. He says in the passage, verses 39 through 43, notice, he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Jesus Christ assures them of his presence. Not only does he extend to them his peace, but he assures them of his presence. He says, look at me, touch me, feed me. Ghosts, phantoms, do not do this. But Jesus Christ is indeed alive. So we see here he extends to them his peace and he assures them of his presence. But the bulk of the passage is that he speaks to them and to us of fulfilled prophecy. Notice verse 45 in our text. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds. He does for those present what he did for the two disciples earlier. He enables them to understand. This understanding is a connecting of the dots. God is all about opening our minds so that we would understand the story. In the garden, when Adam and Eve's eyes were opened, they discovered that what God said was true, that in the day they ate of it, they would die. On the road to Emmaus and in the upper room, when the disciples had their eyes opened, they discovered that what God said was true that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the seed promise. He is the completion of the blood picture. God's word to us and for us is true. Let us not waver in our commitment to Christ and his church. The prophecy fulfilled has three parts. First is the message, Christ suffered, died, rose from the dead. And then the audience to whom the message comes, to all the nations, And then finally, the plan. How is that message going to get out? We see you are witnesses of these things. But let us examine all three of these thoughts. First of all, the message. Like the Apostle Paul, we preach Christ crucified. Notice in verse 46. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Like the Apostle Paul, our message is Christ crucified. And we perhaps can look at this message as a hinge. If you were to look at a hinge, there are three moving parts. There's two plates and a pin. One plate is Jesus Christ is indeed alive. The second plate, Jesus Christ is Lord. And the thing that those two plates hinge on as we appropriate it is the pin. The pin, faith, appropriates the provision of the forgiveness that is in Christ Jesus. So you have the gospel, and in Jesus Christ we have forgiveness. 
That gospel, Jesus, forgiveness, is to be preached to all the nations. But we have to have repentance. We have to have faith in order to appropriate the provision that is made possible in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But I asked myself as I looked at this text, what are we repenting of? Well, let us consider three ideas or thoughts. First of all, we are repenting of our self-autonomy. We are repenting of the idea that we can do this without him. We are repenting of our rebellion against him and denial of him. This repentance begins in our minds, our intellect. We have to change the way we think about God and how we think about ourselves. We are repenting of self-autonomy. But secondly, we are repenting, as I thought on this, of self-affection. We have to stop loving ourselves above God. We need to stop loving self and turn toward the triune God alone as the object of our affection. This repentance continues in our hearts, our emotions. Our affections have now turned toward God. And then finally, we are repenting of self-adoration. We stop worshiping the idol of self and turn toward a triune God alone as the object of our adoration. Our repentance concludes with our volition. We now choose the triune God over all things, including ourselves. And it's as we change our minds about God and about self that we appropriate the provision that's in the person and work of Jesus Christ and we have the forgiveness of sins. In the gospel, we say we can't. Only God can and Jesus did. And whether we accept this or not, we need to be forgiven. The entire world is united in their fallen state and in their need to be forgiven of their sins by God. Yet many reject this notion and find it repugnant. We go about creating and fabricating a world of our own making where we are the heroes. We see this flagrant idolatry in politics, in Hollywood, the professional sports, the business world of the rich and powerful, and even in our own humanity. We reject the one true God and create our own in our own image. Nonetheless, until we recognize that we can't, but only God can and Jesus did, we will remain in our lost state. The only way to appropriate God's provision is to repent of this self-idolatry and humbly receive Jesus as Lord and the one whom God raised from the dead. This is the message we are to bring to the nations. It is interesting what the text says in verse 47. It says, And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, in his authority, in his power, to all nations, beginning, beginning in Jerusalem. There is neither male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Gentile. Christ crucified is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. This message does not exclude anyone from Asia, the Americas, Africa, the Middle East, or Europe. It does not matter what you profess to believe or what you might deny. This message is for all the nations. So we know that he extends to us his peace. He assures us of his presence. Jesus Christ is alive. He speaks to us a fulfilled prophecy. We've seen the message, it's Christ crucified. We know the audience, it's to the nations. And then consider the plan. Verse 48 says, you are witnesses of these things. The word witness is interesting. It's used throughout the New Testament. There are five occurrences of the word witness as it is found in Luke 24 
in Revelation 5. All the rest of the occurrences are found only once or twice. And yet, Luke uses it once right here in our passage and then 13 times in the book of Acts. What he says in Luke 24 comes to fruition in the book of Acts. The church of God, the people of God become this witness. This witness that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ is Lord. So he speaks to us of fulfilled prophecy. When we talk about witnessing, we use the word evangelizing or sharing the gospel as working synonyms for witnessing. Yet Matthew 28, 18 speaks of witnessing as we are going. The idea of witnessing is not something done differently than what we are doing. Witnessing doesn't happen when you change geographical locations. It happens now in the present. Moreover, it is more of a corporate thing than an individual thing. Yes, you are a witness individually, but the mission is corporate. Indeed, there is nothing magical or mystical about this witness apart from God's promise of power falling on us. And by that, we mean there isn't some special process or vocabulary or study you need before you can become this witness. We are simply living out and telling others that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is Lord. The witnessing is done by the power given to us who is the indwelling Holy Spirit in the daily activities of our life. The promise. So he extends to us his peace. He assures us of his presence. He speaks to us of fulfilled prophecy. And then finally, in verse 49, he promises us a future power. Verse 49 says, But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise is the Shekinah glory to fill the temple once more in Acts chapter 2. It is to return us to God's garden. The promise is the fulfilling of our Lord's word of another comforter in John chapters 14 through 16. Let's consider this thought for just a moment. He says that we are going to be witnesses and we are to wait or stay in the city until we are clothed with power from on high. This promise of power is still yet future for them. It's 10 days away, but lies for us in the past. You and I, as the people of God, have been clothed with this power. There are two words at play. The first is authority that you see in Matthew 28. All authority has been given to me. And Jesus extends that authority to us. And the second word is power, as found here in Luke 24. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Authority means you have the right to do it. We are going in his name. Power means you have the ability to do it. All of this authority and power lies in God. It isn't something we have. It is something he is and because we are in him and he in us. We have this right. We have this power to proclaim Jesus to all the nations. Right now, the church of Jesus Christ has to push past all of the religious pluralism and political correctness and cultural intolerance and say, Jesus is alive and Jesus Christ is Lord. And unless you give up yourself and receive him as such, you cannot be saved and you will be separated from God forever. That is the message that we are bringing to the nations. And the veracity of our message isn't its approval by others, but its origin in the almighty God. God, through his word, tells us what is true. Everything else counter to this is a falsehood. And the issue isn't, can you explain it? But rather, 
Can you accept it? This is the power to our witness. Our ability to witness isn't based on our personal prowess or personality. The power to our witness is the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit given to us works in us and through us to those around us. This is the witness. So what do we do with this? We know that he has extended to us his peace. He assures us of his presence. He speaks to us a fulfilled prophecy. And then he promises us a future power. And that power which was for them future is ours in the present right now. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, you and I, the church, are witnesses of his resurrection and absolute kingship over everything. We are unique in our setting in declaring that Jesus Christ is alive and that Jesus Christ is Lord. We have his presence and the fulfilling of his promises assure us that his mission is being completed. God is calling us to go big. There is no other option. We have his word, and that is what we are to be bringing to the nations. God's purpose, God's purpose in the world is our compass. It's our nightlife. All of us have had the experience, at least in our house, of having nightlights in the hallway. And why? So that when you get up in the dark, you have something guiding you. Well, this mission is guiding us in the present. This horizontal isn't about us, but about him. Think about the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Every day I pray the Lord's prayer. I am repenting of my self-autonomy, my self-affection, and my self-adoration. It has never been and cannot be about me, but only and always about him. So together, as a local church, as a family of families, we are pushing that message out. We are witnesses of this. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is Lord. So I ask myself as I look at this text, what, do, what can I do individually and us corporately concerning the message? What are the creative ways that you can make Jesus known? How might you engage yourself at the local church level in pushing his mission forward? And again, this isn't about what you do, but about what he did and does in you and through you to those around you. So no matter what is happening, we are always called to go and tell. God's mission does not stop simply because we are encountering difficulties. We often struggle to answer short-term questions. But the bigger questions are always addressed by knowing the mission. God is on mission. And because Jesus is alive, we need not fear the present. Because Jesus is Lord, we need not fear the future. All of his promises will hold. On a personal level, what are you afraid of right now? What might you be afraid of concerning the future? Friends, Jesus Christ is the final answer. He is the one who addresses for us our fears. And he is the one who gives to us our direction in life. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather as your people in this place. Use these moments to strengthen us. Help us to see. Help us to live out. Help us to verbalize that Jesus Christ is alive and Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Father, may we not wonder what the mission is. May we understand how these principles, how this truth guides us in this life. So thank you, Father, for this time. Strengthen us as your people during this season. We do ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.